Are we live? We are live. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. All (laughs) millions of you that are listening, because we know, we know there are millions of listeners to this podcast. Well, we, whatever. (laughs) It's facts, Rob. It's facts. I've seen it. You know, my dad told me the other day that he ran into your mom at church. Oh, really? And he admitted to her that he never even listened to our podcast. What did my mom say? She probably said, oh, I haven't either. It's okay. No, when she asked him, she said, have you listened to our dorks in their podcast? <laughs> that sounds just like her. And my dad, his direct response was, no, I can listen to my dork anytime. <laughs> well, that is true. Like, yeah, so but... If you happen to start listening tonight, dad, well, here you go. Here you go. This is for you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's good to be back on on the uh, on the show, Rob. Yeah, it's been I a minute. We've had a a bit of a hiatus. A little bit of one. Life kind of threw us for a loop. Yes, life tends to do that to us. It, it does. Being of, both... of a new semester and right. some interesting events in our country. Right. Oh boy. Well, here oh, we boy. are. Here we are, and you know. This is bound to be a great episode. We're pretty uh, on point with the topic tonight, <laughs> aren't we? we? We tend to do that to ourselves. We just throw ourselves right into the fire. We do. We do. Or the but... firing line, whichever you want it to be. <clears throat> yeah, well, it depends what side we're on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no matter what we do, we're going to make half of them mad, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. There's no, there's no question about that. And, and like That's our friend goal. Taylor says, he disagrees with us both. So. Yeah, yeah, he always does. But that's, yeah, you know, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> as long as we so, have the listeners, you know. To anybody who's listening, whether you agree with us or not, well, we love you even when we don't. Yes, thank you, thank you again to our millions of listeners. Maybe we'll start running ads so that you guys. Can... <laughs> Yeah, with, with the copious amounts of extra money that we bring home. Oh, yeah. You guys wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe how much money we bring in from this. We're, we're, we are living in opulence here. <laughs> we oh, have boy. We, we have major uh, endorsement contracts coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Eat. Big names. Big we, time we, names. We can't discuss it because of non-disclosure agreements, but... Yeah, we can't tell you. We can't tell you uh, what it is. We can't tell you who it is, but it's true. And we can't tell you when either. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> tonight, Rob. Yeah. We talk about the Supreme Court. We do again. Again, we return to the Supreme Court, but with a little bit of a different light on it. We kind of like this one. Yeah. I'm excited about this one. So, as people should know by now, uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh is the nominee for the next Supreme Court Justice of the Supreme Court to replace uh, the late, well, not the late. I mean, he just retired. He's still, he's still here, but, but Justice thank Kennedy. God. Yes, thank God for Justice Kennedy. And, um 
all that he did for the court. But <clears throat> now we move on, and and uh, and it's been a it's been a roller coaster of a what I guess he's been nominated probably for less than three months at the uh, surely less he than he was nominated three on July on July ninth. So we are on yeah. my birthday. Oh, that's right. So we're sitting down. We were all at a resort, 18 people having dinner for my birthday. And mm-hmm. at one end of the table, they're talking about Ireland. In the middle of the table, they're talking about something else. Everybody <laughs> getting to know everybody. And right. at the end of the table where I'm seated, the three of us are on our cell phones, uh, refreshing <laughs> Twitter every 15 seconds <laughs> to see who's being nominated because we're all terrified. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we're Rightfully terrified, so. I should add, is because we're, we're Kennedy people. We love <clears throat> Justice Kennedy. We're Kennedy people. And we're O'Connor people. Sandra Day O'Connor's in Arizona, and we love Sandra Day O'Connor. And, yeah. And we, we miss her being on the court. I miss her being on the court. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I, I fear, um, um, the... Lack of a of a truly moderate voice on the court, mm. because I think the the lack of one only furthers this terrible recent trend of um, polarization and politicalization of our courts, which are not supposed to be political <clears throat> well at all. Um, yeah, actually, they're not supposed to be partisan, but I think right. it, it furthers that when you don't really have a moderate voice and you've had in the last uh, 15 years, you've had the um, the departures of uh, of Sandra Day O'Connor, of Anthony Kennedy, of David Souter and mm-hmm. of John Paul Stevens. Um, mm-hmm. Remarkable, remarkable justices. Um of course, Justice Rehnquist and Justice Scalia also remarkable justices, but more on the conservative side of life. Um, well, I mean, the Supreme Court of the last, um, <clears throat> you know, 75 years, give or take, has has really been um, pretty significant and monumental in their decisions mm-hmm. and, and also in their prestige. I mean... The, there's not – I'm trying to think of one justice that I really don't – that I can't – that wasn't – I mean, that hasn't been just such a force. And, uh, and Justice Fortas. Okay. <laughs> he was, was only there for four years and he You're resigned right. in scandal. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, there it is. 1965 <clears throat> to 1969. There you go, everybody. So other than – that <laughs> other than justice fortis because i had to find one you did and 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 you know it's membership on the highest court in the land per, one of the most important if not the most important jobs that anybody in the world could have um and and you know for the past 75 years it's been incredibly successful um, and and has been chaired by some of the most eloquent and thoughtful and intelligent justices of our of our time. Um, and hey, just 
for fun, because I know we're not really talking about this right now, but just for fun, hmm. food for thought, America. Food for thought. You know, because I know so many people across the 50 states in Washington, D.C. are listening to this. Yeah, um, don't forget Hawaii. I said the 50 states and D.C. Okay. I know our friends in I Hawaii are listening. I just don't want you to forget about our island brothers and sisters, you know. Well, I know Alaska <laughs> either, you know. Right, 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 can't, right, right. No, we love you, millions of people who are listening to us. Um, but do you think... How long do you think it will be before a woman becomes Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme mm. Court? Mm. That is a good question. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think that uh, I think Donald Trump had the opportunity to uh, nominate a couple women justices. Um, and I'm, I'm blanking on their names right now. Well, one of them was Amy Barrett. Yeah, Amy Notre Barrett. Dame which, which, and I, I think that he didn't do that because um, the thought process was that um, uh, Kavanaugh, you know, was a Bush uh, yep. official, and so the Bush <clears throat> uh, sort of establishment would rally around him and therefore right. moderates who were sort of anti-Trump right. would rally to support him. And I think that that was kind of the thing. Um, and I think that Professor Barrett, while I'm sure she's a wonderful person, I don't know her. Um, I think she was seen as maybe a little bit too conservative. Um, right. And I think she also didn't quite have the resume that they were looking for. Probably not. Um, and and just you know to to Trump's credit, I don't think that it, I when he says that uh, like gender or race doesn't play a role in his decision there, I I think that that's totally fair. To I do say. too. I don't I, think but, that he was being um, <clears throat> at all discriminatory in his decision. I don't either. Um, but but look at just for fun. Again, because I know I know that people are so excited to to, to listen to this. Uh, just think about the first woman who was nominated to the court mm-hmm. did not serve on the federal bench ever. Right before being nominated, did not go to Yale, didn't go to Harvard, didn't go to Princeton or Dartmouth or Columbia. I mean, went to Stanford, still a very impressive law school. I'm yes. not saying it's not. But right. didn't go to an East Coast Ivy League school and didn't serve on the federal bench. Right. And, and yet became <clears throat> the first woman to serve on the Supreme Court in history and served almost 25 years. Mm-hmm. And she has, some, she has some really good opinions, too. Oh Sandra Day O'Connor does. Goodness gracious, yes. Um, Marvelous opinions. And nominated by Ronald Reagan, you know. Keep yes. in mind, this was the the <laughs> this is the man that that Trump at the beginning of his candidacy uh, praised and modeled his ideas after was Ronald Reagan. So, so just a little food for for fun. I don't even, I don't know what the hell it is. I'm having fun. How about that? Um, <laughs> we all are, Rob. Um, Sandra Day O'Connor, when she was nominated, they didn't even fly her to D.C. first. They first flew two aides to the president out 
to Arizona. Hmm. They met at her house. She served them lunch that she cooked. Wow. She cooked them lunch. Wow. And then they interviewed her, and then they decided that she should fly out to D.C. and meet the president. She goes to D.C. to meet the president. She meets the president. Mm-hmm. She tells him that she likes horses. And according to some people, that is when the deal was sealed. Well, I think the deal was sealed right after she cooked them lunch. Well, it could be. <laughs> uh, she, she, I mean, she gets nominated in July of 1981. She gets confirmed in September of 1981. Uh, and she serves until January of 2006 when Justice Alito is, uh, is confirmed and succeeds her. Uh, she, uh, she retired from the court, um, to be with her husband, who was Adolin from Alzheimer's at the time, mm-hmm. and he passed away not long, uh, after that. Uh, that period, though, was interesting, and it actually brings us to our topic, because, um, Justice O'Connor was mulling retirement and decided to retire when Chief Justice Rehnquist who had been diagnosed, I think, with prostate cancer, maybe colon cancer, one of the two, um, just a little before that, um, mm-hmm. he had been diagnosed and he was not doing very well. Um, and she consulted with him and learned that he intended to stay on the court. So she decided to retire because he was going to stay. They'd been classmates at Stanford. Um and uh, this then um, provoked the, the nomination of, um, of Harriet Myers to the court. So John Roberts had been nominated actually to Sandra Day O'Connor's seat. Um, <coughs> then Justice Rehnquist in the fall of 2005 passes away. Yeah. Um, Justice, or or then Judge Roberts is is nominated then for Justice Rehnquist's uh, seat. And Harriet Myers, who uh, I believe was uh, the White House Staff Secretary then and then became later the White House Counsel, uh, was nominated to the court. Um, Arlen Specter was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Senator from Pennsylvania who actually was born in Wichita, where Paul and I grew up. Um, and he was the chairman of the committee. The, Harriet Myers goes before the Judiciary Committee and just just does not, does not know what she needs to know. Mm-hmm. I don't think she'd ever served as a judge. I think she's a very, uh, a very good uh, attorney. Uh, she's been a part of, of some reputable firms in her career um, but she did not know what she needed to know and so several senators including Chairman Specter uh, urged the White House to um, <laughs> hang on a minute and go back and try to repractice this so they did right. well, that, didn't, that didn't work uh, and so then uh, Harriet Myers withdrew her mm-hmm. own nomination the president did not withdraw <coughs> it she withdrew it uh, mm-hmm. and she actually uh, after the uh, after the Republican midterm losses in the 2006 
the election, she was asked um, to resign from the White House because uh, the new White House chief of staff, Josh Bolton, thought that the president would need a more aggressive uh, White House counsel since they were going to be dealing with a lot of Democrats in right. Congress. Uh, and so she left the White House. Um, but that was one of the more recent uh, failed nominations to the court. Um, actually, both <clears throat> both uh, Bushes had failed nominations to the court. Um, really? Yeah. Well, one of the most famous, of course, uh, being Robert Bork. Of course. Um, who was nominated by George H. W. Bush, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 now it's called uh, being borked. Um, <laughs> but when your nomination fails, you you've been borked. Um, <laughs> and that's and, so unfortunate. Oh, it, it's terrible, and I mean it, it, it's bad, but it's funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, and, and and of course, uh, Judge Bork, a very uh, conservative, um, yeah, figure. Yeah, likely uh, would still be there today. Yeah. Well, no, he, I'm sorry. He was nominated by Ronald Reagan, not by George H.W. Bush. But George H.W. Bush, I think, did have somebody Bush, fail. Did he? I don't think he did. And I Am think I he only had, I think H.W. Uh, only had, um, I'm trying to think of how many. This is why two. we have computers in front of us. He had two. He had Souter and Thomas. That's right. That's right. Because he... Thomas is <clears throat> easily considered the farthest leaning conservative on the court, and Souter's a little bit, um, a little Suter, bit less. Souter was a little bit more to the center. Yeah, Souter's a little bit less predictable. Uh, you think maybe a little bit? He's he's a good he's a good justice. He's written some actually some really good opinions as well. Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, he, so once, so he's nominated and, and, uh, voted on by George H.W. Bush. He goes on to write the opinion of Bush v. Gore in 2000 for George W. Bush. Oh, how exciting. Which is pretty, uh. You know, if you don't don't think too much about it, or you'll start to get into conspiracy theories. But yeah, let's not do that. But uh, I, I, it's you know, interesting. You, enough. You're right. George H. W. Bush did not have a failed nomination, and I stand corrected on that. Judge Bork was nominated <laughs> actually for the seat uh, that Justice Kennedy ended up taking, which is the one that's now open. right. Right. Um, and actually, there was a second failed nominee for that seat. Oops. Yeah, um, which it, was. The more scandalous of the two, was yeah, it not? I, I think you're right. Uh, hold on. Douglas then, Ginsburg. Yeah. The other Ginsburg. Not not the not to be confused. Um and and, and the big deal about him was he smoked marijuana. Yeah. Yeah, he smoked marijuana. Um, a huge smear campaign started to come out and he had to step down because or he had to um, yeah, stepped down because he, it was, it got to be so bad. People believed that he wouldn't be able to handle it. So, um, and now, and now we have a nominee who has 
you know, outright said he went to a very heavy party school and um, has been quoted saying what happens at Georgetown Prep stays at Georgetown Prep, joke or not, joking or not, uh, you know, right, to, to question whether or not he smoked weed is, well, you know. Times have changed. Times have changed. We feel differently about things than we did, but you know, let's. So okay, so that kind of helps catapult us into uh, things where times have not changed. Um, so in late in July, in July, mm-hmm. we had a woman uh, come forward not come forward she spoke with people very privately and uh recounted a story about just or about judge kavanaugh yeah which might be the ship that sinks him uh if she ever actually goes to the committee yeah so let's okay so let's Let's pretend like <laughs> like nobody knows what has happened. If nobody had watched the news. Um, if you all were living under a rock. If you lived under a rock. If which, you don't have Twitter account. Which, yeah, which is entirely possible. Uh, basically, uh, Dr. Blasey Ford uh, wrote a letter. Her congresswoman. Wrote to her congresswoman, which is, remind me of who that is. I don't remember. It's somebody in California. Um, it was a California congresswoman who who then took the message. Um, Forwarded it to Senator Feinstein. And it was meant to be very private. Very, very private. She said, please, please do not um, talk about this until I'm ready to. Uh, do not disclose this. Which Feinstein um, respected as long as she could. Um, and so there's been a lot of speculation as to why she didn't come forward right away. Well, if somebody asks for privacy in the matter and doesn't want you to come forward, then, you know, you respect that, except that this so, is so, something makes me think, though. That she could have forwarded it to the FBI without telling the press. Because, she could have. Because, now let me just, because in the 2016 election, you had the Steele dossier, right? Mm-hmm. That was given by British intelligence right. to John McCain. Right. John McCain had it, I don't know how long he had it. Um, as soon as he got it, he took it to the FBI. I don't know when he got it. I have no idea. Um, but it did not come out until after the election was over that right. that information had ever been given to John McCain or that he had given it to the FBI. I do not know if he got it before the election or after the election. I don't remember. Um, and and I, 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 well, I don't know. Um, well, so here's the problem with this, with this, um, with this letter, the FBI has now, because the FBI 
was given the case and has come out publicly and said, we're not investigating this because there's no evidence. There's literally nothing to corroborate this story. And until we have something like that, this is not something for us. This is not something that we will investigate. So, so I have another question and I, please, no one think that I'm trying to um, victim blame here because I'm not a, the furthest thing from it. I, I've survived similar things myself and I, I believe in believing victims and I, I do believe that something happened. Um, but my question is, I mean, obviously Dr. Blasey Ford has, has asked the FBI to investigate. The FBI has made their stance pretty clear. Um, and I, I don't think that you would ask the Federal Bureau of Investigation to investigate something you were making up. But I, my, my question is, the state of Maryland does not have a statute of limitations. They don't have one. So if something really happened, why would Dr. Blasey Ford not then go to the uh, police in Maryland and try to bring criminal charges against Judge Kavanaugh. So, so yes, there's no statute of limitation on felonies. Um, basically, if 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 somebody commits a felony and it happened 30 years ago, such like this this did. Well, right. I mean, but and they go to have, and they go. A lot they, of states have five years on rape or sexual assault, and Maryland doesn't. Well, that. He, Yes, and that is its own debate there. Um, <clears throat> why she didn't go in Maryland? It, right, because Maryland is a, I mean, where that's it a good question. So, right. So if you're right. asking so, the FBI to investigate, why don't you also ask the the Montgomery County Police Department to investigate? I think they would have a similar problem, and even more so than the FBI of saying okay well what what um what kind of evidence do you have of this well but then she could have provided them with a list of whoever she recalled it was at that party because she has at least one witness who wrote a facebook post right and so and and then you know then they could have interviewed mike judge and whoever else uh so let's i don't know let's let's briefly touch on mike judge um oh god he is so uh, Blasey Ford, Dr. Dr. Ford also mentions, besides Brett Kavanaugh being in the room where this happened, she also mentions Mike Judge, which is a coincidental last name for somebody that would be in this position. Um, and Mike Judge claims that he has no recollection of being at any party like this. That was that was his that was his defense. He has no recollection, which isn't a denial, but nonetheless. Um, now, if you look up uh, Mike Judge on Twitter or you read about any of his writings, he has said some pretty astonishing, shocking, gross, outright gross stuff about um, being a teenager. And the treatment of women, um, and 
he and so he definitely doesn't seem um, like the type of person he's about he's about the worst person that you would want uh, to be associated with when dealing with a matter like this. So he quotes in his yearbook and he says, certain women need to be hit regularly like a gong. Right. Excuse me. And I mean, and he just do do not do not go look him up if you are not prepared to vomit. Right. At some of his writings, because they they really they are gut wrenching. Um, But anyway, uh, I mean. I don't know if anything will happen. I really think she needs to come forward. They've offered her a closed interview. They've offered her a a private session. They've offered her anything that they can do to keep the cameras out of this, Mm -hmm. to keep it as private as it needs to be, although I would love for it to be public because I think the American people deserve to know. If she's not comfortable with that, I understand. Um, and, And so, but I think she needs to respond I think she needs to go somehow because, I mean, if the allegation is has any merit, uh, it needs to be heard before a vote is taken so that a fair vote can be taken uh, mm-hmm. with all the information. At the very least, if the American people don't have the chance to know this information, then the Senate Judiciary Committee, who has to vote on this nomination, should know before they vote. Um, and, and like I said, I, I have survived rape and sexual assault twice. I know how difficult it is to discuss those experiences. I don't enjoy discussing my own experiences. Um, but uh, I also am not faced with the choice of um, of the um, individuals who who did that to me being nominated to the highest court in the land and probably the most respected legal body in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I feel for Dr. Blazing Ford in that way. Um, however, uh, if she doesn't come forward uh, and testify, I think that she probably loses a lot of credibility. I mean, people are, gonna, people are already calling oh, her yeah. a liar. Anyway, right. Um, so I, I don't know how much worse it can get. And, but, but, but if she doesn't come forward, I think it becomes harder for future victims of sexual harassment, uh, sexual assault and rape to be believed by, by people when they make accusations, even, even when they are, uh, legitimate, which of course the majority of the time they are, uh, legitimate. Um, yeah. But I, I, I mean, but that's that is one nomination. We have no control over that. Um, there are plenty of other nominations in our history that have that have failed. Um, and of course, we went through this recently. The reason that we're here in this situation is because uh, Merrick Garland's nomination to the court failed in 2016 with uh, the death of Justice Scalia. President Obama nominates Judge Merrick Garland to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. The uh, Republicans in the Senate, who are in control of the Senate at that time and now, take an interesting view of what advice and consent means, um, and they don't hold any hearings at all on Judge Garland, and very few of them even meet with Judge Garland 
uh, and he does not get a committee hearing. He doesn't get a floor vote. Uh, and so uh, the 2016 election, if you look at the data, one of the defining uh, reasons why people voted for Donald Trump and turned out to vote against Hillary Clinton was because of the Supreme Court. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, who were struggling with the idea of voting for Trump held their nose and did it because they didn't, they couldn't stand to see the court turn quote unquote liberal because we've had a uh, Republican court since the seventies when Richard Nixon appointed four justices to the court. Um, And so for a lot of Republicans, you saw a 45 year trend and yeah, you saw six Republicans that, that, uh, that uh, were part of the court that, that decided Roe v. Wade. Um, I think it was six. Uh, I mean, anyway, it was a Republican court when Roe v. Wade was decided, so I'm not sure you could say it was a conservative court, but Republicans, in theory, have had control of the court for 45-plus years. Mm-hmm. And there yep. were a lot of people who didn't want to give that up. Right. And so you, you hold no hearing on Judge Garland, who is a judge who's been confirmed by Republican senators to various posts over the course of decades right. uh, in his legal career. Um, and then uh, you have a, a Republican primary that dominates Donald Trump. Uh, and Donald Trump, in spite of everything that he has said and done, uh, and in spite of all proof that was had of that, wins the election in large part because, number one, um, middle class and blue collar workers are dissatisfied with the status quo and feel like they've been forgotten. And number two, um, timid uh, Republicans don't want to lose control of the courts, so they vote for Donald Trump. Uh, and then you get uh, Neil Gorsuch confirmed to uh, Justice Scalia's former seat, and you have Justice Kennedy retire uh, this year. You now have Judge Kavanaugh um, being nominated. Um, but we're here, really, because of a failed nomination of Judge Garland. Uh, and I, I don't want to lose sight of that. So, um, let me say this, and this is, <clears throat> this is a, might be an unpopular opinion, but regardless of whether or not Dr. Ford's allegations are true, um, or whether, you know, they are, I, I, I will say this, I, I totally believe that what she says happened, happened. Um, I think that it is, it is possible that it was somebody else and she is misremembering what happened. But regardless, I believe that, that, uh, that the Republican side of the Senate deserves this for what they did with Merrick Garland. Um, I think that what, um, what was done in that situation to not even give him, to not even give Garland meetings with senators, to not even allow him to meet with them is, was disrespectful. Um, and to not allow the president of the United States, regardless of what year he is in his presidency, to use his power to nominate somebody to the Supreme Court and for the Senate to, to exercise their power and say, no, we're not going to listen to you and we're not even going to have any hearings at all. 
don't even think about a vote. Um, I think that then coming forward to this, you know, the, the gloves are off for Democrats. And that's why we're in the situation that we're in is because this fight over the Supreme Court has become um, such a partisan fight and has turned into such a nasty situation that we're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that that he doesn't get his way, that this doesn't happen. So I'm going to disagree. I know shocking Paul and I are going to disagree, Um, (laughs) but but it's happening right now. Because I, I am not saying in any way that what happened to Judge Garland was right. I don't believe that it is. Um, I don't really care if he was nominated in an election year. I don't care uh, if he was nominated by a Democratic president or Republican Senate. I don't care. Um, I, don't, I don't care. Um, I don't care that his nomination really would have changed the balance of the court. I don't care. Um, because that, that doesn't actually... I don't really think in the long run matter. I think what matters is the Senate defied the constitutional responsibility that they hold to advise and consent on the nominee of the president. Um, and the Senate uh, disrespected uh, the, the privileges that the president has to make nominations to the court. The president, I think, made a pretty good nomination considering what he had to deal with um, in a Republican Senate. And he nominated someone who's been confirmed by Republicans before. Anyway, I think they should have at least, you know, given meetings to the guy and held a hearing. You could have reported him out unfavorably if you really want to. Uh, Mm -hmm. You could have voted him down on the floor, but you didn't even give him a chance. And and I think that's wrong. Uh, You you basically stopped him from hearing cases on the federal bench for a number of months, um, over 400 days, I think it was. and, and that's obnoxious, but two wrongs here don't make a right, but I think what we're seeing is a result of just how polarized and partisan we've become, because Republicans in that moment of not hearing Judge Garland were playing to their base and were running a risk and gambling that Hillary Clinton would, would not win uh, mm-hmm. the election. Now, pretty, pretty serious gamble, considering they had no idea that Donald Trump would end up as their nominee. Um, They had no idea who was going to end up as their nominee. Um, But they were gambling that Hillary Clinton wasn't going to win. They were playing to their base and pandering. Democrats now are pandering to their base. Democrats are, are Democratic senators are suggesting that Dr. Blasey Ford not appear. They are demanding that the FBI investigate with no real evidence uh, a claim. I mean, I'm not saying something didn't happen. I No, something very well could have happened, and I think that the Senate needs to hear the story from both sides, and then the Senate can decide for itself. But you want the FBI to investigate what with what? You're yeah. asking the FBI to investigate something that's 36 years old with no tangible evidence. And I don't quite understand what in the hell people want the FBI to do. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, I, 
I mean, do they want the FBI uh, to pull rainbow-colored Kleenex out of a hat? Uh, I mean, do they want to pull a rabbit out of a hat? Or are, are we doing magic tricks now? Or are we pulling confetti right. out of our throat? What, what are we doing? Um, because this this is just not realistic. And to have Democratic members of the of the Senate um, go and publicly suggest demand really that the FBI investigate this and then that they suggest that the um, accuser Dr. Blasey Ford not comply with a request from the chairman of the committee to appear at a hearing which she asked for it's they're all pandering to their base and and it's really bad um, because this is not what it's supposed to be. I mean, you go back and look at, I mean, even Justice, Justice, um, uh, Kagan, Mm -hmm. you had a pretty, a pretty bipartisan group and Justice Sotomayor, I mean, I know for a fact, John McCain did not really agree with either one of them, but John McCain thought that they were qualified to serve and voted for them. Right. Um, Right. Like, this is just what we do. Justice Ginsburg in 1993 confirmed with over 90 votes to the court. Justice Kennedy confirmed with over 90 votes to the court. Justice uh, Breyer <clears throat> confirmed with over 90 votes to the court. Um, you know, this, this is what we need to get back to. And when you have a politics that is just people playing to their base, uh, no. You, you have a court that becomes inherently political, which is the antithesis of its design. Um, you have the founding fathers turning over in their graves, and you have very divided confirmations that are, you know, 54 to 46, 53 to 47, 52 to 48 confirmations. Yeah. And that's just sad. I mean, the idea, the idea that um, you might get three or four Democrats to vote for Kavanaugh because they have tough re-election battles to face. Wait, wait a minute. What? What about? What about? I mean, uh, I'm now. I'm saying this, assuming that either Dr. Blasey Ford does not testify, or that the Senate decides that that her allegations are not credible. Um, take the fact that the American Bar Association has given Judge Kavanaugh its highest rating of qualification to serve on the Supreme Court. And you're telling me that somehow we now live in an era where the highest rating from the authority on that issue is not good enough to win overwhelming bipartisan support for any judge on either side of the aisle. That's ridiculous. It is. And you're absolutely right about that. And, um, the partisan issue is uh, its own thing. Um, the Supreme Court essentially holds more power than any other office at this point in time, and um, but see, and, and that's ben, wrong. And Ben Sass said it right. He did. That one seat on the court right. would not be such a big deal if the legislative branch was doing its job. Right. Oh my the, God! And yes. that's the bigger issue. 
That's the and, bigger. And, that's the he, bigger problem, right? So, now. so here's the major problem, people. The legislative branch isn't doing its job at all. They're not. Sorry. You you want change? Vote out your representatives. Vote out your senators. There's like 33 senators up for re-election this year, and mm-hmm. and they're all 435 representatives. Want change? Vote them out because they're not doing their jobs. And here's how I know. Um, Congress voted to end earmarks in 2011. Earmarks are still happening. They just don't have oversight from Congress because they still happen from the executive branch. The reason President Obama decided to quote unquote legislate with a pen and phone is because Congress didn't claim its oversight. The reason that we're spending way too much money right now and that our deficits are exploding beyond the tax bill that passed um, is because uh, Congress and the House in particular isn't holding the power of the purse and refusing to fund things until we get shaped up. The legislative branch is not doing their jobs. And because the legislative branch isn't doing their jobs and actually legislating things, the court becomes a much bigger deal because the court in its mm-hmm. recent history has been legislating instead of adjudicating, which is really bad. So to, to pause, I want to go back to something you said. With earmarks, do you think, Rob, that earmarks were a tool that um, allowed for bipartisanship? Or do you think they were a hindrance to, uh, to objective legislation? I, I ask because I've heard a lot of uh, talk that, well, not a lot, but, but there was a specific person who said that um, earmarks were actually one of the tools that Congress used to enact bipartisan legislation, and the idea behind it was um, they proposed this bill, um, which the which one side of the aisle uh, might not completely agree with, but the other side of the aisle comes over and says, "If you if you agree to sign on to this bill, we're going to." Um, we're going to support appropriating funds to this project that you're working on in your state or this federal <laughs> project or whatever. Yeah. I mean, look, here's the deal. You had some earmarks that were probably good. You, well, not probably. You had some earmarks that were good and they were necessary. Um, you also had a lot of them that were quite bad. Because it turned into quid pro quo. Well, mm-hmm. well, I'm not going to support your bill right. with your funding unless you give me $200 million for right. rainforest research in Iowa. Who the hell does rainforest research in Iowa? I don't right. know, but there was an earmark for it. And then, of course, the famous one is the bridge to nowhere in Alaska to build this bridge for this ferry that carried like six people a day and it cost like $250 million. Um, right. Now, that one didn't actually pass. Right, um, and that was the that was the one that pretty much shut it all down. They they caught that one, but but <clears> the <throat> thing is that you had billions of dollars sort of slip through the cracks because um, they called it um, putting bumper stickers on a Cadillac. Uh, right, that you had a big bill that everybody sort of knew was going to pass um, mm-hmm. because it was a huge bill. And you would just slip these little writers in it, these little amendments, 
for ten million here and fifteen million here and a hundred million there and a hundred million here and sixty million there and five million there and you just you just got all these little projects. And right. representatives and senators would go home and they would say, Well, I secured seventy three million dollars in funding for this Air Force base and I secured nineteen million dollars for our schools and I did this and I did that and you've got to send me back because my positions on the committee allow me to get more money for our district and that and uh, appropriators uh, people built a career in Congress as appropriators and that's not a bad thing I'm not saying that there are people right who, who were wise stewards of our money right and they made good earmarks and earmarks are not inherently bad I don't think um, but they 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 led there, to a lot of wasteful spending um, the, the thing yeah. is I don't know if we should have banned them. I think we maybe should have increased our oversight to them um, yeah. rather than ban them because the, the thing is they still happen. Right. We just don't have any congressional oversight to them happening anymore. But right. anyway, we're, we're, I mean, we're getting off track. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I, I I, I, here's, what, here's, here's, here's what I would say. The only thing that I think about it is that it's a tool to negotiation and negotiation is the key to bipartisanship at this point. And if we can find a middle ground where we can agree on something from both sides of the aisle, if we can get back to the times where it was, you know what, I will support this bill, and, and then in turn, you're going to come and support this over here. And, and that is, you know, that's a tactic of negotiation, whereas now, right now what we have is, we're playing identity politics where if it's a Republican bill, the Democrats are voting against it or you're not going to get reelected. If it's a Democratic bill, the Republicans are voting against it or you're not getting reelected. There's no middle ground uh, to be made unless it's an, unless it's an, a, a completely bipartisan issue, which almost doesn't exist at this point. It doesn't. And, and, but I think that what what we're getting to, and the whole reason we wanted to do this episode, is because if if there should be bipartisanship anywhere, it should be in either rejecting nominees mm-hmm. or confirming nominees. Absolutely, absolutely. And when you're talking about a lifetime appointment, um. I mean, there's a number of reasons why why somebody can be rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really interesting to me, and and it has to be kind of cool. If you're in Orrin Hatch's shoes, because Orrin Hatch has been on the Judiciary Committee for the confirmation. Of every mm-hmm. sitting justice, every right. single sitting justice right. on court, and a number of retired justices. Right. He's been on that committee, and I think that's got to be fascinating. But I also think Senator Hatch, with due respect to his service and career, Senator Hatch is contributing to the partisanship here. Well, and it's not necessarily in his actions, it's in the language that he uses. Yes. Because he's, he's used some 
kind of inflammatory language recently, and it surprises me. Um, but, but he at least during the during the confirmation hearings, he at least asked, you know, credible questions of Kavanaugh. You know, he right. was some, he, of the, some, he, of the, some of the Democratic uh, members of that committee. I'm I'm sitting there listening to them going, "Are you joking?" If, well, you, I mean, you and I both, not to name drop, but there were a few Democratic senators that their line of questioning I thought was disrespectful. Um, and some of the tactics were just outright insane and I mean, it, it, look, stupid. A, a, a hearing for a nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court is not... Uh, a platform to launch your presidential campaign. Can I just say, can I just say this, that there is not a single member of the Senate Judiciary Hearing Committee that should be or will be president in 2020 or 2024. None of those people up there, I think, are ready for that position. You don't think Senator Flake or Senator Stass? I think that... Now I'm just having fun. <laughs> well, if, we, if we're talking 20, 2024, I'm thinking, okay, so let me just say, I'm, I'm talking more about the Democratic side of the aisle. Uh, thank I, you. But... You mean Diane Feinstein's not going to run when she's like 90? Diane Feinstein might just live forever. <laughs> so, you know, as far as I'm I concerned, mean, she, she might she, she might be running in 2032, and and I'm all for it. Oh God, she'll she'll be presiding over my inauguration. Um, yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> I mean, you, the, the the cool thing about Diane Feinstein is she is the only woman to ever preside over a U.S. presidential inauguration, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Um, that is remarkable. But but Diane Feinstein is 85 years old. Yeah. It is the oldest sitting United States senator. Right. Which is saying something considering Strom Thurmond was a member of the Senate 20 years ago uh, or 15 mm-hmm. years ago mm-hmm. uh, and was, well, he was her age when he was reelected 15 years ago. Right. Uh, well, no, he wasn't. He was 115 years ago when he died. Um, so... Uh, but he was re- he was reelected at her age. That's my point. But he, yeah. Um, uh, and and so was Danny Inouye, Senator Inouye from Hawaii. Uh, and I'm not saying whether she should or she shouldn't be. Um, but you know, people, uh, a, a lot of the I think backlash to her in California has been her age. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of the reason why Orrin Hatch retired uh, is is because of his age. He's 84. Yeah. Uh, of course, Orrin Hatch. He's being replaced by a young whippersnapper, Mitt Romney, who is uh, 70. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean. Is he really 70? I didn't he, know that he was actually 70 years old. He is 70. No, I mean, I know he only looks 50 because he, he looks amazing. Um, he does. Well, you know, that's what happens when you don't drink and you don't smoke and you don't do anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you age pretty well. You're right. Um, and and that's that's why Warren Hatch is still doing pretty well at eighty four. Oh, here's a here's a little advertisement for us. Uh, if you haven't gone and watched the Mitt Romney documentary on Netflix oh, called so Mitt, good. so good, so good. It it is it puts a very very humanistic view on running for president. 
Um, and it shows you a side of Mitt Romney that if you don't respect, you are you're un-American, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on. By the way, that plug is paid for by since you asked me, even if you didn't, I don't like any <laughs> candidate or candidates committed. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, ladies and gentlemen, I'm the one in law school, and Rob is the one protecting our, our, uh, <laughs> our standing <laughs> right now. <laughs> I mean, okay, so think about this. Think about how we really got here. Because it goes back away. Mm-hmm. We really got here because Richard Nixon nominated four justices right. to the Supreme Court. Right. Richard Nixon had two failed nominees to the Supreme Court. Two. Well, the, yeah, I mean... The, the, the objection to their nomination <coughs> was based on civil rights legislation and laws and the right. rulings of those men on those issues, both of them. Mm-hmm. So then you get Harry Blackman and, and you get... Um, William Rehnquist being nominated as associate justice. You get Warren Burger being nominated as the chief justice because, wait a minute, President Johnson tries to nominate Justice Fortas as chief justice. Then some stuff comes out about his ethics. He ends up having to resign. Right. So you have Justice um, uh, Burger nominated mm-hmm. as chief justice. So there you go. There's Republican seat number one. Then you have Justice Rehnquist at seat number two. Justice Blackman at seat number three. And then I think it was J- Justice Powell uh, in seat number four, Lewis Powell. Um, and, uh, so you have in that, uh, the beginning of, uh, Republican control of the court. Um, and what I think is really amazing is that that court, of course, has four Nixon appointees on it. That court unanimously rules against President Nixon in the Watergate tapes mm-hmm. uh, case, right. um, Unanimously, four of his own appointees right. rule against the president, and I think that that is the way it's supposed to be. Because today, that wouldn't happen. Today, it would not be. Today would be a five to four split decision right. with the four nominees of the president ruling in his favor, and that is not how it's supposed to be. But that is what our courts have become. They've become too political. But they've become too political because Congress mm-hmm. isn't doing their job. Yep. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, and and going forward. Um okay, two 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 points I guess. So so going forward, we know for a fact that Congress needs to step up its game. The ball is in Congress's court to take back the power that they have because both the president and the judiciary have have vastly more power than Congress right now because they can't get anything passed. They can't pass a single bill that is worthwhile and substantive. And any time that the that the uh, the the American people vote to switch um, the party affiliation that the majority of Congress has, then we know that only those bills will pass that 
support that party's ideas. Going forward, we need to, we do need to listen to Ben Sass. I, I'm sure that on policy, there are a lot of areas where Ben Sass and I disagree greatly, but he is absolutely right in saying that, that the, that Congress needs to take back power because it has lost it. Now, that said, Rob, my question for you, will Kavanaugh be confirmed? Yes. I agree. Because, uh, because unless something changes by Friday, uh, Dr. Blasey Ford is not going to come before the committee. Which is a mistake. It's a terrible mistake. Therefore, the committee has nothing to investigate. So they have no base on which really to vote against Judge Kavanaugh because they've already considered the rest of his record in over 1,300 written questions that have been answered. Mm -hmm. Um, And so whether you agree with it or not, it's already been considered. uh, And extensive hearings have been held. Uh, I mean, days of of publicly televised hearings, hours and hours and hours. Um, He is otherwise qualified. Right. Um, I mean, you can disagree. I dis- I I mean I I with with some of the I disagree with the things that he believes and some of his rulings I think are problematic as right. a, as a and, Democrat and people think, can think that uh, and but as a judge right um, I mean and so it, it, it's hard for me to see. Because there's really four Republican swings mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Susan yeah, Collins, Lee Collins, Murkowski, Murkowski, Bob Corker, and Jeff Flake. Corker and Flake, yeah. Flake's on the committee. Flake also hails from Arizona. The rest of them aren't. Rob's, Rob's home state. Yes. Well, not, my, well, well current, current resident state. Yes, my, well, no, it is my home state. It's not my native state, but it is my home state. But it is your home now. It is my home, my beloved home. Um, I love you, Arizona. I really do. <laughs> no, I no, I do. I love Arizona. Um, I I mean that with all sincerity. I can imagine so. It's I, a beautiful place. Uh, you know, well, you know, you need you need to come. Um, you need I know. To come. I know. I'm just saying. See, if the millions of people who listen to this hear my invitation to you, then they're going to pressure you <laughs> then on I'm, Twitter yeah, yeah, for yeah. months to come I'm, visit. I'm and bound. Then finally. Like I'm bound by our SNL, listenership. You will cave when a Facebook campaign gets half a million fans <laughs> for Paul to visit Arizona. There it is. Um, there's, a, there's already a GoFundMe page going. <laughs> I can see it now. Ray raise money for the trip. Ten thousand contributors. Um, no, no. And so Con- I mean, contribute a five hundred dollars, and I'll bring you with me. <laughs> so. <laughs> So anyway, um, no, I don't think there's any way that they withhold their votes uh, yeah. uh, if Dr. Ford doesn't testify. Uh, I, I just don't see it. Uh, and I don't see uh, an easy way without her for Senator Heitkamp, Senator Donnelly, Senator Manchin, um, perhaps Senator McCaskill, mm-hmm. to avoid supporting Judge Kavanaugh if um, 
if Dr. Ford doesn't come forward. So I think even, well, stay... well, even if she does, right? I mean, even if she does come forward, I think that she will be highly scrutinized. She will be if if uh, what she would testify to is deemed credible. I think it fails easily. Right. Right. Um, oh yeah. I mean, if, I... if if there's if she can provide some sort of some sort of evidence any sort of evidence he should you know i i forgive him for what he did as a teenager but but he should not sit on the highest court in the land but i i i just don't think that's gonna happen and i think that's unfortunate i don't think so either but um well it's not unfortunate for you well well no, no i think it is unfortunate because i think that it it undermines an important conversation about sexual harassment, sexual assault, and rape um, that is serious. Um, I also think, uh, though, that it it, um, strengthens uh, the case against false accusations, which are serious and should be met with consequences. um, Well, they can do a rental yeah them. and but, and but, there's plenty to be said about that too with with but, uh, why but would not, she why would she make a false accusation no i understand that you know but, but, and i know people do make false accusations i'm not saying she is i know people do uh and those that do should be should be held accountable for that um just like those who don't yeah. their their perpetrators should be held accountable right um, but i mean Unless she comes forward and and gives the Senate some reason why uh, they should believe her, um, you know, beyond because people rarely make this up, um, then I think they have no choice but to go forward with the vote, uh, which is what they should do. Uh, And I think then that he'll be easily confirmed, probably in a bipartisan fashion. Um, So I think right now... Uh, his confirmation hangs on her, um, which I know is a is a big weight. Um, but if there's anything credible there, I think she has no choice but to testify because his confirmation you know, depends on it or not. I think that um, unless unless she provides some evidence that makes it to the point where we can't we can't confirm him i think that kavanaugh gets confirmed by three votes or less okay now i'm just gonna i'm gonna before we wrap up here i'm gonna leave you with some food for thought for two episodes from now because we already know what we're doing next episode but for two episodes from now um, and maybe we can try to round up some experts for this. Uh, I'm serious. Um, in the case of a sexual harassment, sexual assault, or rape allegation, um, who has the burden of proof? And why? And is it any different here? Mm-hmm. Does uh, 
That is a um, <laughs> it's a good legal question. I mean, it's actually one that that legal minds ponder over quite often, especially recently, um, and one that we should uh, we should confer with experts to have. I have a professor who moved to Las Vegas to teach at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, um, who is a criminal law expert who, who would, who would be the, the perfect candidate for this. So I'll probably reach out to him for some guidance on that. Um, no, I mean, seriously, cause. So, so, so the, the burden of proof generally when, when somebody is, um, accused of a crime, the burden of proof falls on the prosecution, which in a case like this, it would fall on, not on, uh, it, it falls on the side of Dr. Ford because we live in a society where you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Right. Beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. No, I understand that. And- unless, unless Kavanaugh puts up some sort of defense of uh, it's difficult to say in this situation. If Kavanaugh puts up a defense of um, she provides, she provides a, a very solid amount of evidence. And he says, no, I've never, I've never even been to a party like this before. At that point, the technically the burden's not going to shift, but but the burden will, in reality, shift over towards Kavanaugh's side to prove that he's not lying. Okay, well, see that's interesting. Um, now I I just want to say as a final note on this one, the press obviously is swarming Judge Kavanaugh's home, which, by the way, I think is kind of stupid and inappropriate. Um, I mean, it's their home. Um, it always is. That always is inappropriate. Uh, I think it's obnoxious. And actually, I saw some disability advocates today uh, go to Senator Alexander's condo in Washington, D.C. and try to get his attention because he wouldn't meet with them uh, in the, in his office. And I'm, I'm sorry, this is not appropriate. You just don't bother someone at their home. Um, well, yeah, that's the unfortunate freedom of the First Amendment. I, Unless, well, I know. It, it, depending, I mean, I, depending on depending on where you're, well, it, it depends what you're doing. I mean, and I, where you're at. I'm not saying they can't do it. I just think no. it's appropriate. I agree. Uh, I agree. Uh, uh, but so the, the press obviously is is swelling Kavanaugh's home. Last night, Mrs. Kavanaugh is out there offering them cupcakes. Wow. The, these these people. Or putting her husband through the ringer, trying mm-hmm. to vilify him mm-hmm. in, in all of the print and digital and news media. Uh, some of them. Some of them are being objective. Some of them obviously have bias one way or the other. Um, a lot of them who are there have bias against him, I think. Um, with no disrespect to any of my friends in the news media, of course. Um I I have great admiration for what they do. Um, I don't have admiration for opinion news at all. Anyway, um, she, she, that there's another like three episodes in one. Um, but <laughs> but 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 she's out there. She, she's out there offering them cupcakes. 
So let's so so let me say uh, two things about that. Number one, um, earlier we talked about Sandra Day O'Connor and her um, her successful nomination. She uh, provided lunch to them and and was confirmed and became one of the the uh, best justices on the Supreme Court of all time. Well, she provided lunch to aides of the president, though, not the press. But but listen, but 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 what I mean to say is that speaks to so that spoke to Sandra Day O'Connor's character. Now we have even more so Kavanaugh's being attacked by the press and his wife, the family unit here, she provides them. She, she decides to take the high road. She gives them cupcakes, you know? And so that to me speaks to the character of Kavanaugh himself. That, but and, by the way, and, cupcakes are, are our frosting delivery system. <laughs> A frosting? Uh, what does that mean? What do you mean by that, Rob? <laughs> I mean, and this can be another episode because I'm, I'm just plugging for like five or six different episodes now. Um, We're just episode planning at this point. We are on, on, live on air. Um, I mean, don't skip frosting on cupcakes because oh yeah, cupcakes are a frosting delivery system. I mean, cupcakes are these tiny little. You can eat them in one bite. Cupcakes are these little. Things, oh yeah, and all you're trying to do is get the most frosting into oh, yeah. your mouth. Listen, listen. If you if you don't like frosting with your cupcakes, then I don't trust you. And and Mrs. Kavanaugh's cupcakes, by the way, had sprinkles on them. There we go. See if if they didn't if if they were lacking in frosting, then I'd be all for you know saying no, no vote <laughs> for Kavanaugh. <laughs> but hey, listen. <laughs> here's what. <laughs> Here's what this says to me. What what the the other thing that that says to me is that, um, Brett Kavanaugh's wife is the head of that family. She she is, and I don't mean that to diss on Kavanaugh. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that she knows, and this is how I think every family should operate. She is the she is the lioness that is the face of that that family that that does the grunt work and and goes out there and she would you know go to battle for him, but she's out there taking all this heat, which is I mean which has to be extremely difficult on her because her husband her husband is being accused of attempted rape. And she is out there providing that service to the very people that are accusing her husband of that. If that doesn't show, you know, where we are at today with regards to strength of women and the feminist movement, you know, I don't know what is. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty impressive. That's pretty good. Because if somebody was accusing my spouse... Um, and, 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 and furthering 
uh, accusations that my spouse uh, committed sexual assault and sexual harassment, attempted rape, um, I, I wouldn't probably be handing them cupcakes with sprinkles. It would be difficult for me. Uh, I'd be doing, I'd be doing what Elaine Chow did, and I'd be getting out there in front of them, going right up to them, getting in their faces, and saying, "You stay away from my husband." <laughs> um, when I mean, well, no, when when they went to Mitch McConnell, there were protesters that went to the the home of majority of Mitch McConnell and and Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow. They tried to get up close and personal to the majority leader when he was getting a security vehicle. Secretary Chow goes out there to them. And says, you stay away from my husband and move out of my way so I can get into the call. You don't mess with Elaine Chow. And <laughs> I, would, I would be that husband who was out there yelling at protesters for my Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You get away from my spouse and you, right. you stay away while I get in the car. Now, here I go. Right. There's two ways to approach it. Yeah, and you probably catch more flies with cupcakes than you do with yelling, but, you know. Well, cupcakes are sticky, so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, God. Are you up too late, Paul? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at the the point of delirium. (laughs) This is the delirium. To, to wrap it up here. Okay, so we're, we are wrapped up with history of failed nominations to the court. We've talked about how we got here with Richard Nixon's four nominations, including two failed ones. Uh, we've talked about uh, Ronald Reagan's failed nomination and how having a failed nomination now is called being borked. We've talked about Harriet Myers. We've talked about Merrick Garland. We've talked about uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Here we are. We are done with this episode. Our next episode will be the one that we missed recording about what we would do if we were president. So be sure to send us your questions, you millions of listeners out there, about what you would do if you were president. Because I know an hour and 15 minutes in, you're still listening to this. Um, so what would you do if you were president? We know, we know you're out there. We know you're out there because we want to run and so do you and we know. And so you're scared to ask questions, but, but we're nice. We don't buy it. Hard. Well... If it's cupcakes. When, when Paul has a cupcake, he doesn't bite. But, but if he doesn't, well, watch out. He kind of throws a little temper tantrum. Um, <laughs> I keep him up till midnight recording this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. I got to so, be, be in Congressman Kennedy's office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. So if for no other reason you should listen because poor Paul is sleep deprived in order to give this information to you. <laughs> We got to reach out to Pillsbury for uh, some advertisement here. <laughs> the, the Pillsbury Doughboy, maybe is gonna Betty, come with Betty Crocker or something. Something. Uh, anyway, what would you do if you were president? We know what we would do, and that's what we're going to be talking about on the next episode of Since You Asked, and even if you didn't. But for now, this is the history of failed nominations to the Supreme Court of the United States. For Paul Knapp, I'm Rob Egan. Good night, good luck, we love you, and we'll see you soon.